know an independent Baptist pastor, actually I took over his work some time ago, this pastor believes that because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross of Calvary, because of our being in Christ and that he has atoned for our sins, he believes that uh, you no longer, as a believer, have to confess your sin. Now, when you think about that, you ask yourself the question, is he right? The man is a pastor. He's an independent Baptist pastor. The man should know what he's talking about. He knows the Word of God. He's an avid soul winner. He leads people to Christ. He teaches them and guides them every step of the way. So, you think that there might be some credibility in what he says. And I ask myself the question, if he doesn't believe in the forgiveness of sins when you get saved, and he's wrong, what's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to his sin? Good question. That's what we want to be dealing with this morning, and I'm sure that most of us already are thinking of 1 John 1 9, right? Alright, let's turn there for a moment. 1 John 1 9 as a springboard to the main passage. 1 John 1 9. The important thing is that we know what the what the Word of God says and what it teaches. That's our only guide and rule in life. But before we get to verse 9, we want to read the verse before it and after it. The Word of God says, if we say that we have no sin, what do we do? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want you to note in all of those three verses, the first word that, that where it starts, in all three verses, what does it start with? It starts with if. So what happens, we know what it says if we confess our sin, right? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But what happens if we don't confess our sins? What happens there? How is that taken care of? And maybe if you've read your Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, the Bible refers to sins of ignorance. The, I didn't know that was sin type thing. And I know even in my own Christian experience, there were things that I did as a Christian that I didn't know was wrong. Why didn't I know it was wrong? Because I don't read my Bible. And I had no idea what the Bible has to say about these things, and so I blindly carry on. What do we do in our Christian experience about the sins of ignorance? What about the things that enter into our mind every day, the, the things that we think about, the things that we meditate on? Sometimes in those areas, we're not even aware that as we're thinking that possibly we're sinning in that department as well. 
Now, the Old Testament, under the law, made provisions for the sins of ignorance. Let me give you a verse that says just that. In the book of Numbers, chapter 15, verse 27, and I'll read it to you. Numbers, chapter 15, verse 27. And if any soul sin through ignorance then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a what? A sin offering. So, this, so ignorance is a sin. And if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour, one day we're going to stand before him. We're, going, we're not going to be able to say, I didn't know that, Lord. I had no idea. Why? We've been given the word. We should know. And that's our number one challenge as far as believers are concerned. We need to be reading the Word every day. And I encourage you all the time. You're going to get sick of me hearing that. But two chapters in the Old and two chapters in the New every day without fail. Make a promise to the Lord so that we will overcome this sin of ignorance. But let me encourage you in this day and age... When we talk to the Lord, when we confess our sin, then we ought to also be reminded that and ask God's forgiveness for the things that we're not aware of. Maybe some of the things that we were thinking of and say, please forgive me for my sins of ignorance. And that the Lord will cleanse us from that sin as well. One day, as I mentioned, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's no unbelievers present at that judgment. It's going to be all believers. Question. Are unconfessed sins going to be brought up at this judgment? So think about it. Are unconfessed sins going to be brought up at this judgment? So in relation to this independent Baptist pastor, are his unconfessed sins going to be brought up before that? Or is it just supernaturally going to be wiped clean. How are unconfessed sins going to be dealt with? Now it is generally believed and it is generally said that our judgment before the judgment seat of Christ will be a judgment according to our works. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? What does that involve? How do we understand that? It's important for me, and if you're saved, it's important for you, because one day, I'm going to be standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, my Saviour. And I'm going to have to give an account before Him. So are you if you're saved. So we want to know what this judgment is all about. Some say this judgment seat, which is a reference to the Bemis seat, it's where you get your, your crowns and your laurels and what have you. Like at the Olympic Games where they hand out the medals and what have you. But the Bema seat is a place of judgment full stop. It's also a negative sense as well when you come before the judgment seat. Now having those things in mind, we now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 the passage that has been uh, read by Caleb 
and we'll work through that to see what it has to say about our sin and, and in relation to our judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. I won't read the whole lot again. We've gone through it. So I'm going to pick out some words and some things that it says in there. First of all, I want you to look at verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to note there that it mentions God's husbandry. See that? God's husbandry. Now that actually means a cultivated field or a farm. The Christian, the believer, is God's farm. So we can picture mentally that God is working his farm, trying to make it productive. It also mentioned in verse 9, it says, Ye are God's building. So now, we as individuals, we as believers, are referred to as a building. And as we get to the end, it talks about being the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the building that we're talking about. Who owns it? It's God's. Ye are God's building. Haven't we been redeemed through the precious blood of the Lamb? It says ye are bought with a price. You're not your own. So there's a reminder there where God's farm and where God's building. Now as we get into verses 10 and 11, we're reminded of the foundation of a building. And the only foundation that can be built is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So any religion that doesn't build on the foundation being Christ is a false religion. And we rule that out. It goes on to say in the passage, it says, But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. You see that? Take heed. And I looked up that word heed. You know what that word means? Beware. Take heed. Beware. There is a warning attached to the believer, to the Christian, who is building his spiritual house. And if there is a warning given then we as Christians need to take heed, don't we? We need to make sure it's that if this is this must be serious if it's a warning. Now if you look in verse 12, the building material is referred to ere it is mentioned. And this material is from the most precious to the rubbish. From the most valuable it goes down to something, the stubble, which costs nothing. In verse 13, it says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. Now that word manifest means apparent, evident, known. Every man's work will be known. It says, for the day shall declare it. And this is what I want to 
focus on just now and ask the question, are we only referring to the day as the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, or is this a reference to the day in which we are present leading on to and including the judgment seat of Christ? And I believe that to be the case. So this is not standing for the judgment seat and all of a sudden, surprise! And you know, if you say it as well as I know, when things come our way, how we are developing with our spiritual building. And I thought really hard as to how to explain the production of this building material and, and apply it to our present day situation. And I believe it has to do with the way that we live every day and from day to day. It has to do with how we conduct ourselves, how we occupy our time. The gold, silver and precious stones is a daily life that is lived through God. The wood, hay and the stubble is a daily life lived for self. And it is an either or type situation. And we can know how we're developing or how we're building our spiritual house. And how we know is through, and look at the passage there, through the testing of fire. That'll take place at the judgment seat of Christ. But you know, fire comes our way even today. And I'm talking about fire in the sense of tribulation, testings, problems and issues and hassles that come our way. And we know what our spiritual building is made of as to how we react to these things. And there's two ways to react to tribulations or problems. Number one, we can do it the normal way that we used to. We can do it the world way. Like unsaved people, we can just respond accordingly. And that will reveal to us if we're saved that it's wood, hay and stubble that we're focusing on. Or we can respond by way of tribulation. We can respond in a spiritual sense by allowing God into the process and God into the situation and bringing glory to him. Seeking victory, trying to learn all the lessons that comes our way so that will encourage us to grow and to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask myself and I ask you, how are you going today? How's your problems and your trials and your tribulations there? How are you dealing with them? Is it God honouring? Or is it... Or is our building being manifested and we think, this is not how a Christian should act and respond and be. And so I'm going to need, a, I'm going to, need to deal with that. Is our reaction in the flesh or is our reaction in the spirit? And it is important that we try to find out and that we know ourselves before the judgment seat of I'd like to be prepared for that, thank you very much. And I'd like to know what's going on in my life. 
and how God is working in my life trying to transform me into the image of his son. I want to know that. And I want to try and understand that. And I want to try and deal with that. Now I'm going to give you a passage that I believe to be the crux of how one lives his life right here and now. Now turn, if you will, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We go back to 1 John. We go back to 1 John chapter 2. And this is a familiar passage that most of you are aware of. 1 John chapter 2. And I want us to look at verses 15 and 17. Pay particular attention to what it's saying. Or as relating to where we stand as Christians. It starts off with, love not the world. Oops. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, what's the, what's the answer? The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father but it is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So, living for yourself is what? It's temporary. It's only but a short time. And yet, isn't it incredible how much we focus on the temporary? And sometimes it's out of all proportion. And yet, if we do the will of the will of God, it says it abideth forever. There are <coughs> eternal consequences. So which side am I on today? Where is my love? It's either in one of two places. It's a love of life, the attraction of the world. It's a love of the temporal. And sad to say, many Christians are caught up in it. Many Christians are caught up in it. And the devil sees to it today that there's very little free time for an individual across the board. Do you not agree? You're forced to work longer hours. You're forced to work more and more and more. Less and less time. And let's face it, when the weekend comes, what are you involved in doing? I've got to mow the lawn. I've got to maintain the garden. I've got to clean the house. I've got to do this, that and the other. I've got to go shopping. And on we go. The devil's behind that. And the next thing you know, we're so occupied, there's no time for God. We've left him out of the equation. We've left him out of the issue. And then there's the, there's the pull. And I've seen that amongst young people. And it frightens me. But they're kind of caught in the trap of debt. The credit card issues. And uh, today people want more and more. They want better housing. They want new, newer things. They want cars. They want this. They want holidays. They want that, that and that. And so they go out and get it. And the Lord's left knocking on the door. And we're way off the track. Sometimes we get a guilt feeling and we think, hmm, better go to church. You know, it's a bit like the Roman Catholic Church. You go and get, get absolved from your sins. You, you, the more money you pay, the, the, the better it is for you. And then you come out with a clean conscience. 
<sighs> and off you go and start again until you get convicted again and then you go back in there. You know what I'm talking about. And there's no finger pointing here, but uh, it's an incredible trap and the devil's behind it. Hopefully, we're living a life that is motivated by a love for the Father. A life of putting God first in everything in our daily lives, moment by moments. It's not going to stop the tribulation, it's not going to stop the trials, it's not going to stop the problems. But when you introduce God into the situation, it becomes a whole different thing. We begin to look at these things in a completely different way. We begin to approach it in a different way. And as a result, we begin to learn and we begin to see. And we begin to understand some things. And that focuses our attention on our, the building of our spiritual house. It's evident in our lives. Now let me give you some more verses. And these are dealing with how fire is applied in this day and age. And how God works in his farm and on his farm. All right? Or how he cultivates the field. And you can write these verses down. It's worthwhile to study afterwards. To put in your arsenal of verses so when you get into trouble, you can look at them, you can remind yourself and it'll pep you up and pick you up. The first one is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. And you can see some applications here is on how we raise and how we train our families and our children as well. There's a double application in Hebrews. It says here, For whom the Lord loveth, does God love you if you're saved? Of course he loves you. For whom the Lord loveth, what does he do? He chasteneth. He chasteneth. And what? Scourges every son. Now that's to give a hiding, really. And how many parents do that today in the training of their children? Why? Because government's got them cornered. And if you do anything, you're in big trouble. What does the Bible say? Spare the rod. Hate the child. Thou shalt, be, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall uh, save his soul from hell. You might say, that's Old Testament. Oh, it's never changed. It's never changed. If we do things God's way, then God's going to bless. Amen? Especially with our families. It's crucial. And scourges every son whom he receiveth. If ye, look at this, if you endure chastening, right, the gold, silver, and precious stone, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not. So if you're saved, you can expect that sometime in your Christian experience, these things are going to take place. He doesn't do it for pleasure. He does it, why? Because he wants us to grow. He does it for our benefit, not for his benefit. Now there's another well-known passage that we can apply, and it's to do with the Lord's Supper, really. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Verses 27 to 32, and I'll read that for you. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread, this is the Lord's Supper, and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, 
shall be guilty, guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Is that serious? Absolutely. So we don't willy-nilly go into these things. But let a man examine himself. There's a challenge as well. It's no good examining somebody else. It's no good blaming somebody else for our failings and for our failure. It clearly says, but let a man examine himself. It's looking into the mirror of the Word of God. Alright? Look at your face. Look at your life. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh what? Damnation to himself. He's addressing Christians. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, it being abused, many are weak believers and sickly among you and many sleep. That's die. God takes them. Right. Now, if that isn't chastening, I don't know what is. But all the time, here we see Christians that are abusing God's principles and the Word of God. And they are dealing it willy-nilly and light-hearted. And just go ahead and do it. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. That is pretty strong language, amen? That's strong language for a Christian. And aren't we told in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. We can grieve the Spirit. We can quench Him. We can quench Him. So that when we sin, I'm talking Christians, when we sin and we get into a habit of doing that, our conscience begins to be seared with a hot iron. Isn't that what the Bible says as well? It doesn't bother us as much as it used to. And as we continue to go that, that path, we no longer feel bad or feel guilty. That's, that's quenching the Spirit of God. We put him to a silence, and so he no longer works as he, as he can or as he should work. He doesn't go against our will. Now when it comes to this gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay and stubble, the building material that we're using, it is also possible and it's likely that we have a mixture of the two. All right? So it's not always one or the other, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay and stubble, but it could be a mixture of the two. And when tribulation, when the fire is applied, then only that which is gold, silver and precious stone remains. The rest is burnt. Okay? But for, from our perspective, we need to be aware and we need to see how we're going and developing in our own Christian experience. Now let's keep, in, keep looking back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and uh, we go to the, to the final test if you like, and looking at verses uh, 14 and 15. If any man's work abide which he have built thereon, he shall receive 
a reward. So here we have the rewards, and this is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. All right? So if there's gold, silver, and precious stones remaining, you'll have a reward. It doesn't say what it is, but it's a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, this is the judgment seat of Christ, he shall, what? Suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Every person that stands before the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be rejected. The worst situation is to be saved as by fire. All your works are burnt. You've come up and you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ and all you've got is wood, hay and stubble. And you watch it go up in flames. Now think about that. Think about that. When you go up, you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on your own. There's no, no point looking at anybody else. You're going to be standing there. You're going to look into his eyes. You're going, to be, you're going to be reminded of what he did for you. You're going to be reminded. He gave you everything. He gave you his life. He died for you. And here you are standing before him. He's also given you at least one spiritual gift. He expects you to use it and exercise it. He expects you to work for him. You come up before him and everything's burnt. All you've got is your salvation, which he's given you. You've got nothing. Can you imagine what that would be like looking in his eyes? Wouldn't it break you? It would just tear you apart. But that's, that, that's what's going to happen. And I pray that I'm not that one person that's going to be like that. And I feel sorry for the independent Baptist pastor with all his unconfessed sins as to how he's going to go. But that's not for me to decide. That's not for me to determine. But that's what's going to happen. And it ought to burn within our heart. Now, let's look at verses uh, 16. It says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. There's, there's a building, a temple. A temple is a place where God lives. We God abide. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And where the Holy Spirit is officially present, the other two members of the Godhead are unofficially present because they're one. Within us is the Godhead, within the believer. And says, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. There's a reminder of that. Now, look at specifically verses 17. It says, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. So that's defiling your own body. That's you defiling your own body, right? Him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple? Ye are. It's interesting. I looked up the word defile. And this is just from strong. Anybody can do it. The word defile there means to shrivel, wither, 
That is to spoil, in brackets, by any process. That's how that is mentioned there. So, in your temple, defiling means to shrivel and to wither away. Turning away from whatever you've got there is just going to shrink into nothing. And the other thing that I found very interesting is the word destroy in that verse 17. Him shall God destroy. The word destroy is exactly the same word in the Greek as the word defile. So, if any man defile to shrivel or wither the temple of God, you abuse your temple, him shall God shrivel, wither, and spoil. So you suffer the consequences of your life and what you do, and what I do as well. It's quite sober, isn't it? But armed with those thoughts, I want us to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're actually talking or dealing with the judgment seat of Christ, the beamer seat of Christ. I want you to know verse 10, and it's what the Bible says, not what somebody else says. It says, for we must all, we, that includes the Apostle Paul, because he says we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. It doesn't talk about the works there, does it? It's what's done in the body. It's what we do every day from day to day. It's how we work and how we operate, how we conduct our life. It's all going to be brought up. I'm not talking about the confessed sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sin and it's forgiven, that will never be brought up as far as the east is from the west. Isn't it important that we confess our sin? Absolutely, it's crucial. Okay, But, here we have to receive the thing done in his body. So whatever we do, whatever, however we, we, we live our lives, whatever we think, anything relating to our body, that's all taken into account. According to that he hath done. Whether it be, look, Good or bad. Okay? So it's not only the good that's going to be brought up. It's not going, it's also the bad. Because some people present this judgment seat of Christ as a kind of a, a cakewalk. Something to, to be all excited about. Well, if you're living for the Lord, well, perhaps. However, it says whether it be bad, and that means the word means worthless. Eh? Uh, wood, hay, and stone. If it's worthless, that's bad. And it talks about there, we are going to be uh, accountable for that. So, to answer the unconfessed <coughs> sin issue, they're going to be brought up. Okay, that's bad if we don't confess it. 
If we don't know how to confess it, just mention the unconfessed sin and, and ask God to, con to, to uh, confess it to Him. Okay? Make sure that you deal with all those things in your life. Now, the seriousness of it, look at verse 11. Knowing, therefore, it says the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also um, are made manifest in your conscience. Paul says it's not knowing the terror. It's a terror. Judgment seat of Christ is the terror. And, and Paul said, that is what motivates me and drives me to be the type of person that I should be. Leading people to Christ, to be, to be exercising my ministry and my spiritual gifts. That's what it's saying there. That's God's word. And I close now with a verse to leave with you. And uh, let's go back to 2 John chapter 1, 2 John. I shouldn't say chapter 1, there's only one chapter. So it's easy to remember. Now this verse, if you mark your Bible up, if you highlight your Bible, if you underline your Bible, if you write something in your margin, this is the verse, colour it in. So when you're reading through the scriptures, you know, you're two chapter in the old and two in the new, that you don't forget to read and to learn, no sins of ignorance, you come across this verse, you'll be reminded. And it is crucial. And to me, I don't know how many times I've had to turn to this verse and I'm thinking, wow. Verse 8. Look to someone else. Look to yourselves. That we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. See, God, God's willing and He loves to reward. He loves to bless us. And you know what I think of sometimes in, in this situation? I think of an individual who's been faithful to God, who's been ministering, maybe a pastor, a missionary, whatever, an evangelist, a soul winner, an individual who's faithful to the Lord, who lives his and her life faithfully to the Lord, and then at some point in time in their Christian experience, and it may be years and years, all of a sudden there, something hits them and they turn away from God. They spit the dummy and they walk away. Look at the verse. So here's all, all the blessings and all the works in all the time that I've been faithful to the Lord and serving Him and then one minute I spit the dummy and I, I've had enough and I'm walking away, what happens to my reward? It says here, I can lose it. And then I end up way back standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and looking into His eyes and it's all gone. It's gone, it's disappeared. So, shouldn't we be consistent? And that ought to drive us, that ought to encourage us to keep going until the Lord comes back or until we go to be with the Lord. And I was thinking uh, when I heard that, uh, that Dawn had gone to be with the Lord, I prayed for that lady every day when I found out that she, uh, she was ready to go home. 
And she's got a wonderful testimony. She's present with the Lord. Amen. She's present with the Lord. And now she's going to stand at one time before the judgment seat of Christ. And all her labours and all her blessings and what have you are going to be brought up. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Same with Jeff Magnum. What a blessing. So there should be an encouragement for us to keep going. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity and the blessing to be able to look at some of this scripture. And some of it, gracious Father, is frightening indeed. And we would confess, Heavenly Father, that we're not perfect. Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. We're all subject and we can fall. But Father, we pray that these verses, that, that it would pick us up and that we might have our eyes firmly fixed upon our Lord Jesus Christ. That we might look at the eternal rather than the temporal. We pray, Heavenly Father, that some of our priorities might change. That we put God first in everything. We do have responsibilities. We do have to work. We have to rub shoulders with the world. But gracious Father, we pray that we'll not be like the world. We're only passing through because our home is in heaven. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the, being able to meditate upon these things. And we pray that we might take them away. And that we might be mindful of the scripture that we've looked at. These things we pray in and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with thanksgiving.